to Elections on Tap with your host, Miles Wilburn, and the, the, and the panel. The panel today includes Christos and, and Max, um, with our special guest, Tom Melton. Uh, today on the podcast, we'll be looking at the electoral politics within the land of 10,000 lakes and my home away from home, the state of Minnesota. Uh, let's get it going. So the first question that I have um, and we can kind of pose it to, to Tom first, um, is how is the Minnesota uh, governor race shaping out uh, or shaping up on, on the GOP side, uh, especially with the current state of the Minnesota GOP? Uh, is Mike Lindell essentially the GOP frontrunner at this point? What do you think? Uh, well, th first, thanks for having me on. This will be really fun. Um, I'm a huge political nerd, so being able to talk shop with all of you will be really fun. Um, <clears throat> as for the governor's race on the GOP side, I was really surprised that Pete Stauber didn't emerge as like a real, like, I'm going to take the shot. Um, from what I understand of him, he's pretty risk averse. So he was uninterested in running unless he was really sure he was going to win. And Walls was obviously in a strong position with a lot of cash on hand. So he was like, I'm just going to stay in my very increasingly safe congressional seat. Um, but, you know, Gazelka is going to get in. Scott Jensen, the former state senator from actually where my mom lives at SD47, is already going to get in. Or it, I don't know if you guys saw, but he, uh, his press people sent, you know, I noticed, I noticed that he was going to get into the Star Tribune, but had no agreement to embargo the information. And so after they sent it to him, they attempted to retroactively embargo the information for a week. And the Star Tribune was like, LOL, no. And they just like broke that he was running for governor a week before he was going to announce. And I was like, this sums up your campaign perfectly to me and your appeal. Um, just absolute incompetency. Um, but I think Gazelka would probably be my technical front runner right now, only because I think Lindell has a better chance of ending up in jail than being governor. Um, like, obviously, he has the outsider dynamic that will appeal to a lot of the GOP delegates. Um, but I have a hard time seeing how he actually becomes the nominee, especially because Jennifer Carnahan is putting her hand on the scale, so to speak, so much that I don't know that she, even though she probably wanted to be his lieutenant governor, I don't know that she could even be convinced that he's the right, like, nominee right now. But that's just my opinion, and I could be totally wrong, so... So is, is she the uh, the, the MNGOP chair then, or? Yeah, she just got reelected for another two-year term, I think. So um, she was being challenged pretty aggressively by a state senator named Mark Coran. And he was really accusing her of like rigging the endorsement process. And I'm sure you guys saw the article about how they like signed these contracts with consultants and everything that were just like, taking 50% of all the money that was being raised, even if they didn't raise it. Like, it was really wild. Um, and, you know, he, they had legitimate grievances, but, like, I guess no, not enough people cared. So that's yeah. how it was. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so what I think or, or what I is, and I probably agree in, in terms of Mike Lindell, in, you know, because, uh, you know, A, he's likely to, be in jail and B, or to get in jail and B, you know, he's facing 
uh, or million dollar lawsuits uh, from from Dominion um, and, and and whatnot. So yeah, I, I think that I would I would agree. Um, what, what I forgot about the Dominion lawsuit, to be honest with you. So that's another good feather in your cap for not being governor. I think. What, what do you guys think? Uh, what do you think, Max? Yeah, I got a bit of a contrarian take there. I think if if he can stay out of out of legal jeopardy, which is a big if, asterisks on that. I think it, it can very much test the theory of of Trump going into Trump staying power right now. I mean, he's effectively little Trump sprinkled with some crack on it, right? Uh, don't know if that, was okay. that should be his campaign slogan, to be honest with you. If if he can capture the Trump segment in Minnesota, which obviously is very strong uh, when you look at the rural areas, because as liberal as Minnesota can be, from from my look on it, like the same, it's the same rural Rust Belt Republicans, right? Like they're still super Trumpy. I'm sure they absolutely love him in the Iron Range, as we've seen in voting trends. And I can't see how he doesn't get them. He's on Fox News, oh, not anymore, but OAN. He, he's on their news every single day. He has such just a big reach from his lovely pillow commercials. He, he can put the competition to bed. Wow. I've heard that the pillows are terrible, by the way. I don't know if you guys have heard that either. I've heard they're like really lumpy and uncomfortable. I've which... heard they're terrible, but the the ones on the other side, the, like all the liberal pillow companies that started up to capitalize on the same market segment of political pillows make me irrationally angry. Oh, yeah. Well, so didn't, that, um... I where this pillow's growing who was the guy? The, the David Hogg? Yeah, the yeah, David yeah, yeah. David Hogg. I could not think of his name. I was really like, bro. If you buy one of those, you, you need to have your like credit card placed in receivership. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think the unique thing Mike Lindell has is he, you know, he is like a celebrity. So it's like, even if people don't know him for being a crazy Trumper, they're like me. They remember, you know, staying up till 2 a.m. watching Frazier on the Hallmark Channel. And all of a sudden, this guy would come on and he'd say, I used to live in a crack house. And now I found God and I make pillows. And that's, you know, it, it's certainly a story that voters will, voters, I, I don't know if they'll connect to, but they'll certainly remember it. And they'll say it's kind of uplifting. But, you know, I, he's also a bit of a nut. And, you know, he very well could end up in prison by the end of the year. So it, <laughs> time will tell on that. But, I mean, I've, you know, otherwise, I don't really know who else could run. My knowledge of Minnesota GOP is limited to about four people. Uh, Mike Lindell, Tim Pawlenty, Michelle Bachman, and Colin Peterson. So, Oof. Yeah. Shots fired at Colin Peterson. I worked for him in 2016, actually. Really? Mm-hmm. He's yeah. brilliant. He, he was one of those Dems who, you know, he understood his district. And I as, just... as infuriating as it was sometimes, the guy could win. Exactly. I don't think I've will ever work for anyone who I disagree with on issues more than Colin. Um, but like he's really intimidating because like he's written sixty percent of ag policy in this country probably, or like been involved in it. So not that it's necessarily been to farmers' benefits, um, since where it's a lot of corporate ag. But but I mean, if you want to look at the impact on ag, you have two David Vilsack, or I'm sorry, Tom Vilsack. And Colin Peterson, there's really no one else in big ag in the last 30 years who's done anything. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so then were you, were you surprised at um, how wide his loss was to, 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 to fish back? Yes. 
Um, I thought he'd lose single digits, um, but it it really felt like turning a page, essentially. Like he'd handled David Hughes, who was kind of like trying to run as a Trumpy guy, but was just kind of like a nobody. <clears throat> he'd formed that was some. In, that was in 2018. Uh, and 16. Oh, okay. Nice. Um, yeah, he was a very weird guy. Um, he would like leave voicemails on his campaign manager's um, voicemail, be like trying to goad her into like ex accepting debates and stuff. Like it was very odd. And like, how did you get this number type of situation? But anyway, um, I, you know, Fishbach just had Trump's full throated endorsement, a ton of money, like the Republicans. The Republican conference has been trying to get that seat from Colin for 20 years, probably. So they finally saw that they had a chance. The last time they really took a run at him was 2014 with Tory Westrom, who's a state senator, and it didn't do anything. Like Colin was fine, but that district has just gotten so it's more it's more Republican than the sixth, and the sixth was drawn in 2010 and 2012 to be Republican. <laughs> it was drawn to be the Republican district and the seventh is worse now. Yeah. So it says a lot about how far right, like all that ag and like rural areas, especially it's like, it's, we've always joked like it's Eastern North Dakota and South Dakota. And that's essentially just um, what it's become. Even well, and so. there's that, there, there's that push from that one um, MNGOP state either state senator or state representative Jimmy Munson fucking yeah to try and separate that um uh from Minnesota as a whole why are you in the state legislature if you don't want to be in the state I think you should have to say I want to live in Minnesota if you're in the state legislature go move to South Dakota bro go hang out with Christy Nome and she can breathe COVID in your mouth Sorry, go ahead, Max. I got, yeah. So, so looking at the seventh, it's it's gonna obviously get changed in redistricting. I don't know the Minnesota process. I'd assume you have a commission of some sorts. Yeah, essentially, what's gonna happen is like the legislature will attempt to draw it. We're the only divided legislature in the country, so it will go absolutely nowhere, and it'll get kicked to the courts like it always does. Um, and then the courts will draw it. You, you wouldn't be divided without the marijuana party, but. It's a different, that's a different discussion. It is a different discussion. It's an infuriating one at that. Yeah, so, so, but, so Bachman sees her seventh get absolutely carved up. No, mm. she doesn't have a place. Could she then, to bring it to the first discussion, does she jump in the governor's race? I mean, the, the nomination's open. She could try. I think she's a, she was a longtime state Senate person, so I'd be surprised if she took a shot at Gazelka because I think they get along. So if Gazelka's going to run, I think she would probably leave that to him. But like, as someone who's like Steve Simon's political director, he's the secretary of state in Minnesota, she could totally take a run at secretary of state or state auditor or something like that. Um, I don't know that she has a great lane for governor, but like that's never stopped anybody from running for anything. <clears throat> so I would be surprised if she ran for governor just because I think that she probably respects that Gazelka is going to take his shot and that's that. Fair but. She's definitely like there was my galaxy brain theory for a little while was Stauber's going to run for governor and let Fishbach keep the seventh, but I don't think that's going to happen because Stauber's too scared. So then what? 
what do you think happens sort of transition to the second to the second question what do you think happens what do you think will happen in redistricting to the seventh district will it get split up um, into either multiple or two uh two separate districts or or will something else happen i think it's going to get cannibalized my guess and this is just purely you know what i think makes most contiguous sense is just lopping off like the top third of the state and making that one just massive rural congressional district because you've got Moorhead, Bemidji, whatever population exists on the range and Duluth and like Brainerd and some other smaller areas um, to kind of give you the population. It would make it slightly less Republican, but like it's still a safe Republican seat based on the 2020 elections. Um, yeah. But it could slowly swing back towards competitiveness at some point. Um, but then I think you take like the central seventh, which is really Republican. Like the North is like the better part and it's still very Republican. The central part is disgusting. And you lump that into Ember's district and make that another safe Republican seat, which is what he wants anyway. Um, and like his district kind of like crawls around the whole Metro, like it goes from like the Western suburbs all the way around to like Stillwater right on the border. It's a very weird district. So I think you lot putter that off and just give him the central shit. And then you split up the like little curvature around to like Betty McCollum in the fourth and maybe Elhan in the fifth or even part of it to Phillips. I don't know exactly how you would draw that, but um, I think you do that. And then you try and draw Angie's if you can to get Rochester and make hers a little bit safer. Cause I think the first is gone because if you put that Southern seventh part in, which is also disgusting, the first is not even a toss up. So I think we're gonna be a lot closer to four safe democratic seats, three safe Republican seats, which is too bad. But um, I think Angie's probably be the most competitive in the, in the second or whatever version of the second exists. I think they'll either try and draw Rochester into hers or like wrap hers around to like um carver county because actually that used to be in carver county that district um when my grandparents lived there so that i think that they'll so in summary northern seventh go combines with the eighth and they shave off like the bottom part of the eighth and then um central seventh goes to Amherst district and the southern seventh goes into what is now the first and so Hagedorn is a safe seat, which is a travesty, but we yeah. took two good runs at him. That's just, that's, we're not getting them out of there anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. That's what I think. They could they could do something completely different, but given that, you know, Stauber's gonna have an influence, given that Hagedorn's gonna have an influence, and then we'll have, you know, we don't have Colin kind, Colin and Betty are very like, we're very influential in redistricting just because they've been there for a long time. Now that Colin's gone and Fishbach is essentially gonna get drawn out, like it changes the equation a lot. So I think that Dean, Angie, and will wanna try and get safer seats. And if the flip side of that is Hagedorn and Stauber also get safer seats, they'll all just say, cool, yeah. you know? Yes, so a, a bit of a follow-up question is, uh, do you think that um, uh, that, that Fishback will run against Stauber or or run against um, a, a, another another chunk of the of, of where the the seventh lands up where the current seventh lands up. I don't think she runs for Congress unless okay. 
unless Stauber or Emmer vacate, which Emmer will never vacate, especially since he's still chairing the Republican caucus operation, from what I yeah. remember. Yeah. Um, and the only way Stauber vacates is if he runs for governor or Senate at some point. But he's not going to run against Amy. So, you know, the earliest is 2026, unless he takes a stab now. Um, if if Walls doesn't run, I mean, I'm sure the math he's doing is, do I want to take a run at Walls now, or do I want to see if Walls doesn't run for a third term, or is like weekend when running for a third term and just like sit in the safe seat raising money until 2026, yeah. and then choose between the governor's race and the U.S. Senate race. That's what I would be thinking if I were him, and I think he's making the right call because he will lose if he runs against Walls this time, in my view. And that's Senate, isn't that's Klobuchar's Senate seat, right? Yep. Yeah. Klobuchar is 24, Tina is 26. I mean, obviously Tina's the weaker one from what we've seen, but yeah, she, I mean, she would have won by 11 without, uh, without the weed guys. Yeah. Not a, not a bad showing at all. Yeah. She, I mean, she did a solid job and you know, that's, she pretty much did about as well as I expected her to, like she should have had a few more points obviously with the weed folks, but you know, Jason Lewis is no, is, yeah. is not a, illegitimate candidate especially in the trump year so she handled it a lot better than i think maybe you might have expected her to after how like hands off we were with Housley in 2018 when i was her deputy political director so now here's a question for you yeah Biden, two years from now gets a mandate in 2022 which we're all and decides we're gonna go out we're gonna legalize weed like blaze it joe smokes a blunt on the white house lawn does that get rid of the weed party in minnesota and shore up Democrats? Um, I think one, yes, it absolutely would help. But two, we're actually like, you know, I can't like, I'm not involved in the discussions, but I know that where there's like outreach being made to the marijuana party to be like, look, like we understand that this is your one issue and like we have not been on it, but like the, the state Senate minority is like pushing weed, the house majority is pushing weed and like the majority leader is the one carrying it. Like we're making real outreach and saying like, we need to just do this. So I think that the marijuana party has realized that they were just like used by the Republicans essentially. And they don't appreciate that, especially because they're being used to prevent weed from being legalized to continue to use it as a campaign issue. So they were really pissed based on what I understand. So I think that there's, there's a potential for like a compromise to be like, look, we're, we're teaming up with the Dems because it's our best path forward to get the Senate majority and maintain the House majority as well as governor to actually get this passed, which is the whole point of our party. So I think that that could, could mitigate whatever happens in 2022 anyway, if we're able to accomplish that. But yes, if that happened and Joe Biden is like sparking up, like that would for sure help. Um, and I think it would help other places too. But it also could have the adverse effect where like in some more Republican states that have passed like legalizing weed or whatever, it could make it a partisan thing because we make partisan issues out of nonpartisan <laughs> things all the time. So I don't know. It would be a net benefit here in my view. I, I've been saying this for a while is that if the Democrats want their best shot at 2022 in preventing laws, it just should go, go out and choose some niche issues like weed and just be really good on them. The, and the Republicans say, you have a point, but we, we had South Dakota legalize it, and now the Republicans in South Dakota are refusing to even move on it. I think just put it as a wedge issue. If you want to smoke weed, vote down. Yep. Blue. I, I don't see an issue. Like, I don't, I don't smoke, but 
use it to our advantage. There's no, there's, there's no, no reason we shouldn't. Yeah, there's no reason we shouldn't. And if you want to get the youth vote, youth don't vote. But if it's a referendum on weed or no weed, I don't know. My, I know my dumbass friends would go out and vote. Yeah. Yeah. And they should. Yeah. And it happened in Ohio in 2016, and that we had a we had legal on the as a referendum. It was a terribly written bill, one of the worst we've had in a long time. Yeah, it basically but created that, a, a monopoly, right? It created a monopoly, and it was awful. But so many kids were out there campaigning, volunteering, everything, and then they turned that into getting onto the Bernie Sanders train. And then mm. now most of them just hate politics and everything, but. There's real, there's real progress to be made in the green space. Totally. I'm 100% agree. And I mean, we've, we gave them the opportunity to do what they did in 2020 by not being better on this issue sooner. And that's our own fault. Yeah. What do you think, Christos? I don't really know. <laughs> what, what, what in reference are you asking? Just the, uh, the, the, the weed, um, weed being used as a wedge issue. Uh, going forward. I mean, it'd be interesting, and I agree with what Max said, how, you know, if Dems hop on that, it's a lot of untapped, you know, electorate right there that usually they tune out, but when all of a sudden, you know, you say, hey, let's legalize pot, you know, their ears perk up, and if they're not just going to the polls, like you said, you know, they'd be out probably volunteering, but I, don't, I, I am still very confused as to how the marijuana party in, in Minnesota works. Are they just third party who ruins stuff for Dems from time to time? So they're pretty new. Like the rule in Minnesota is that if you run a statewide candidate and they get 5% of the vote, then it essentially like validates your party for it's either two or four years. I think it's four years, but I'm not positive. I'd actually have to check. But so a marijuana party candidate ran statewide at some point and got 5% of the vote. So they became like an actual party. And the independent party, I think, actually failed to do that. And so then they were not an actual party anymore. So the marijuana party sort of replaced the independent party as kind of like the third party outlier. Um, and then the Republicans just realized, yo, these people are all Dems, essentially, or they're like very libertarian that probably aren't going to vote for us anyway. Let's see if we can fuck them up and keep the majority by taking points away in some of these close races and they did and we didn't do anything about it so is, do you think that that's like the main reason why um ilhan fell a, a little bit uh this past year like their the, the wheat party um you know aided or what would have been her votes i actually don't know what percentage did the wheat party candidate get in ilhan's race i don't even remember um i can look at it but i think i think it's a little just a little south of 10 percent okay because she ran well behind biden but i think she ran by more than 10 points behind biden so i think explains part of it she, she ran the worst of any dem congressional candidate against biden yeah and um you know they she had a really well-funded republican challenger who was also african-american so that helps to some degree the marijuana party helped to some degree but also there is a significant jewish block in the fifth and they're mostly in the suburbs, but there's also some in the cities. And they hate Ilhan, like rabbit. Hey. And like I don't really blame them in some respect because it's like Ilhan, 
I voted for you multiple times. My one of my best friends ran her campaign for Congress in 2018. Like she could be doing what AOC is doing, and she actively chooses not to, and it's frustrating. Like she is, I think she is a really significant and important voice. And I'm going to keep voting for her as long as she keeps doing at least most of what she's doing. But so much of what gets her in trouble is just unforced errors, and that drives me crazy. I, I was about to say that. It seems like to me, from the Jewish community standpoint, every single time she tries to do Jewish outreach, unforced error after unforced error, and all she does, all she has to do is say like, "I'm sorry," and then just not bring up like the Benjamins again. I Talk think Israel. You, there, no one's against like no one's gonna get too mad. She talks about Israel, but it's it's the way she does it. I think the problem is not even that she's doing Jewish outreach and fucking up. It's that she just talks about issues that Jewish people care about in like the most least tactful way possible, irritates them or actively makes them very angry and then has to go back on the apology circuit again. And, you know, they've done that a number of times. And I know the state senators and I know the, like the people who the rabbis and everything who come and meet with her and they like have the come to Jesus or whatever the Jewish version of that is like the um, come to the Torah moment. I don't know. And like, and she sits there, she does what she's supposed to do. She says what she's supposed to say. And then they're like, okay, we think we got to her. But like, then she does the same thing again. And it's like, Ilhan, please make this easier for all of your supporters and just stop doing this. Like, if you want to oppose Israel, oppose Israel. But like, don't try and get cute. One of my number one things in politics, I teach all my interns, all my organizers, all my candidates, do not fucking get cute. Because that is what Ilhan does, and it gets her in trouble every single time, especially on Jewish-related issues. And then, so now people are like, why are we even sitting down to have this conversation with you anymore? Because it's not getting through. You're just doing, you're just sitting here to check a box, and that's it. And it's like, they're not wrong. And it's like, you need to be better about this. But I don't know that she ever will be. And it's that frustrates me. Did, did, she, did she ever explain why she voted for the... Uh, uh, didn't she vote present on the Armenian genocide thing? Yeah. Yes. I don't remember what her rationale was for that. Of course, to be honest of course there. There's no reason to do that. Yeah. She made, uh, she made waves in the Jewish community last week. So I, no one else in the world probably noticed this, and I barely did. But her, she was wishing the Jews happy Passover. And she says, this in Pesach, instead of, which is Yiddish for like, have a good Passover. Instead of just like the traditional like Ilchaim like have Chag Sameach, which would be the Hebrew for like good good holiday, and it was one of those things where I was reading it and I was like, I mean she probably didn't care, but like the Jews on Facebook were wild, and it's like well, she's too scared to use Hebrew, like she doesn't want to acknowledge that Hebrew is the language of the Jews. I don't give a shit. I don't think it matters. I don't think anyone should care, but it was just hilarious to see like the vitriol from the community because she uses Yiddish. Well, and that's because, like, that's one of those things that is created by all of their problems. It's like, it's like the nerve is already so irritated that any trace amount will send off a reaction of pain, you know? You start looking at her posts with a fine-tooth comb because you're, you're tired of things like, show me the Benjamins, and all of a sudden you see things that I'm sure she didn't mean, like, it was some, some comms guy just found it on Google, but... Right, and it's like, I, I like Ilhan a lot, and I'm friends with a lot of her staff, like, she... And my view is an absolute net positive, and she brings a really unique perspective to Congress. But I'm also at the same time just like, like, clean this up. Like, this is really, this is political malpractice in some way. Like, you're, you're kneecapping your agenda and what you want to talk about by doing this. And it's really frustrating, especially when you have an example 
of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez doing such a better job of keeping your messaging really tight and always focusing on what you want to talk about. Like, yeah. Yeah, and the other thing uh, about AOC that I think is interesting is that, you know, she might um, hoot and holler about, uh, you know, about, you know, spending bills here and uh, here and there, but she'll, like, instead of the Freedom Caucus, or those in the Freedom Caucus, she'll she'll get, she'll still get behind the, the, the main Democratic position, uh, which is, I think, a really good strategy. I mean, all, all the squad wound up, you know, getting behind so uh, the stimulus and they're, they're likely going to get going to get behind the, um, the uh, infrastructure. But it's just it's such a different uh, way to, to negotiate than what Republicans did during Boehner's years. Sure. Um, that's I think that's really uh, that, that's really interesting dynamic to look at. Um, but so I did pull up Ilhan's race from from 2020. So in the Hennepin part, she won 65.8 percent of the vote. And the the Michael Moore, the the Weed Party candidate, wound up getting nine point three percent. Now in the Anoka part, she won a plurality of forty eight point eight percent, and the Weed Party candidate got thirteen point two percent. Now I don't know if there's something going on in Anoka that <laughs> that kind of facilitates that, or um, or, or Anoka County is a wild, weird area. It's- <laughs> this truly bizarre exurban area and I've actually been doing a fair amount of work there and it's just like the Republican stranglehold that they have on that county in general is just fascinating um but there is like a, a like a libertarian mix in some of the um Anoka Party areas so I could see some of those folks literally being like libertarians who like didn't want to vote for a Trump or like there might even be some racists who are like I don't want to vote for a black person so I'm just gonna fucking vote for the Weed Party candidate like that's depressing to think about but like it literally might be part of it but I'm sure there were Dems who are like I'm annoyed with Elon so I'm just gonna vote for the Weed Party person yeah but can't stomach voting for a Republican typically mm-hmm. it's like the Republicans with the Libertarians like can't stomach yeah. this Republican gonna vote for the Libertarian exactly yeah yeah um so that where where are the, the the big Jewish communities in the Twin Cities area? So the really big one is St. Louis Park, and like oh, I, don't think, I don't think this is derogatory, but like all my Jewish friends growing up always called it St. Jewish Park because literally so many Jewish I, people. I have, my friends say the same thing. It, yeah, it, you're all clear. I I figure, but like you know, they got some good kosher restaurants. I, they yeah they do. They have a lot of good stuff there, and but like at the same time. I can't criticize Ilhan for doing shooting herself in the foot and then like not think about something before I shoot myself in the foot. Um, you have a Jewish last name, anyways, you're fine. <laughs> Perfect. Um, but that is a big one. There, there are parts of Minneapolis that are like heavily Jewish. That kind of varies by neighborhood. But I think St. Louis Park and then to a lesser extent Hopkins. There's a really Jewish part of Hopkins. Um, there's some Jewish folks in Dinah but they're probably more in the fifth than in the third part. There's like a tiny little part of the Vedina that's to the fifth. Yeah. Um, so, and like, yeah. yeah. So okay. they're, they're floating around there kind of, I think there's some in St. Paul, but I think there's more in, in Hennepin for sure. Yeah. The, the Cohen brothers are from St. Louis Park. Mm-hmm. They sure are. So is Al Franken. Good old, good old Jewish community there. Mm-hmm. 
did not know that. Um, yeah, that, 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 is, that is interesting. Uh, and so going, sort of, sort of tying this back to um, redistricting, do you think that um, the fifth will change at all? Um, I, think it, I think it should. Um, I think we need to take part of that gross Anoka stuff that we were talking about earlier and like toss that in to make it so that's not like a 65% dem area. She could take on, Ilhan could take on a little bit more of the gross area. Betty could take on a little bit more of the gross area, especially if we actually do work registering and turning out the east side of St. Paul, which we've never done. Um, and one of the things that I really want to do in 2022, that is an entirely different conversation. But I think um, giving Dean a little bit more of Hennepin, if possible, especially if you're going to extend out and give him some of the shittier stuff to the West, I think that is to our advantage. But we also don't get to decide that. It's going to be written by the courts. So right. Right. we'll see. I, ideally, that, that, that's what you would want. I think that more than likely, they'll, the fifth and the fourth, I don't think will be as democratic. They'll still be very safe seats, but I don't think they'll be like hysterically democratic as they have been lately. Um, just for the sake of con you know contiguous districts and shit like that. Which is good. Spread it out. There's no need to have 80-20 districts. Exactly. That's what I say too. Especially if it means making Dean's seat safer and making Angie's seat, seat safer. Yeah. Like, if you take more of that shitty part and give Angie South St. St. Paul like she currently has and like some of St. Paul even, that's a safe seat. Sure. But, if it means you're 65, 35, who cares? You're, you're not losing in a wave. Well, and that's the thing. We're leaving a lot of votes on the table in Hennepin and in Ramsey, but like, especially the East side of St. Paul, like I just went and looked this up. The lowest number of registered voters of any Senate district in the state is Senate District 67, which is Senator Hur's district, which is a huge Hmong population, which is why they have a Hmong state senator and a Hmong state rep. Um, but we've never actually invested in organizing that community appropriately. And we talk about it every two years. Oh, let's work on the east side. Let's work on the east side. And we never actually fucking do it. And it's so infuriating. And that wouldn't even be that high of a number if Senator Hur and Beijing and the Hmong community hadn't already been working. But it's like, we need to help them. And then the third lowest one is SD40, which is like Brooklyn Park and Brooklyn Center, which is like very rapidly increasing immigrant populations, AFAM communities, stuff like that. And we have all white reps there. Well, we had all white reps there until two years ago, we finally elected Samantha Bang. But it's just like, we're just leaving a lot of votes on the table in both of those without question. And, you know, the same thing could be said in SD62 with Jeff Hayden, who just lost to Omar Fateh. And, you know, the north side of Minneapolis, Bobby Joe Champion works, like, and turns out a lot of people there too, but we can always do more. Like, there's a lot of votes that we are just not talking to. And I think that's unacceptable. So it's like, give away some of those, like, really safe parts, take on tougher parts and make people go work and go get those other votes that are there. They're just not taking advantage of. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So I guess uh, maybe before we, we wrap up, is there does anyone have any questions for for Tom? Or any any more questions? Well, there was a real big news story this week, and I don't know if it's going to shape up in any way to uh, impact the uh, GOP's presence in Minnesota. But I guess I'll just say it: uh, Prince Philip's death is that going to change anything? I don't think so. Okay, I didn't think I so. We were going to have a Matt Gates reference for a second. I was like, <laughs> oh, 
the, the death of DMX, will that change anything in Minnesota? Uh, no, but I will be listening to a lot more DMX uh, in the coming days as a result. I'm really sad. I'm much more sad about DMX than Prince Philip. It's not even close. Yeah, I get that. Thank God the Andrew guy with him. What? Had a one, right? The the Prince Andrew. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dude, a- I, I, you could not have someone who knows less about the royal family on this podcast right now. I'm just telling you. Like people are like, oh, the Prince died, and I'm like, sure. I knew who he was. Now. I assume they're all terrible people and pedophiles and and whatnot. Statistically, it's probably not a bad bet, unfortunately. They're also all cousins, which not great. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, we can't talk. We have we have places that are like that in, in not in Minnesota, but probably in like, you know, Alabama. But so. the difference is we don't make those people in Alabama the, the biggest people in our country. Well, we <laughs> almost made that a senator a couple of years ago. Yeah, that's true. I was just yeah. gonna say don't forget old Judge Moore. Top nights of my life was that election night. Has to be one of the best nights I've had. That, that was that was pretty fun. That was awesome. Watching the returns come in for that. Uh, the, the feeling of hope and the hope that we don't have a pedophile senator. Yeah. <laughs> the, the day the story broke that he was banned from local malls was just absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Just beautiful. I, I can't imagine a worse scandal to have than you're literally banned from the mall. That's pretty bad. I think I, maybe murder is worse, but like... I mean, there's the old adage Donald Trump could murder someone on Fifth Avenue and he wouldn't get convicted. That's well, true. Donald Trump was banned from malls for 40 years. I mean, he's, he still wouldn't have been convicted, but yeah. Yeah, actually nothing would change. I take that back. Yeah, I was like, I hate to say it, but... I don't know that any either of those would really matter. I, I did have an actual question, though, if that's all right. Uh, so I, I know in some other states with, with Democratic governors, there's been, especially with vaccines, more push for them to ease up on COVID restrictions. Do you see any of that up there? And if so, you think it's going to impact anything severely in 22 or not? Um, well, we've, I've actually, I, I voted for Walls. I was friends with this whole campaign team. I know a lot of his staff. I have been like actually semi frustrated with how he's handled this. Like, I think he's done well in a lot of respects, but he has really let like the right kind of thump him enough to the point that he finally like relaxes restrictions more than I think is necessary. And this is the third time this has happened, but we've let up on restrictions. More people who, don't want to fucking wear masks, go out and spread COVID around, and then we have spikes. And it's like the most predictable thing in the world, and it drives me nuts. And he knows better. We all, like his staff, everyone knows better, and we're still doing it. And it, it is so frustrating because it's clearly, I, in my view, it has to be about 2022. It has to be about, I want to have a strong re-election win, and I don't want to piss off the Republicans even more than I already have, which is a considerable amount. And it's like, you're risking people's lives. And like, certainly far less than, you know, if we had a Republican governor, but make, I elected you because I, you know, I want you to make the tough call. And this is a tough call. Like, yes, restaurants want to open. Yes, businesses want to have everything go back to normal, but we're not back to normal. This is, if any time, is to be careful and to be locking things down, at least in my view, it's while we're in a race against time trying to get people vaccines. 
I mean, you know, you can maybe explain away the first time and the second time, but this time it's like, how many times do we have to make this mistake? Especially when this one is like the most important time. Like, and he's articulated that. We've all articulated that. We are in a race against time to get as many people vaccinated as possible. And by letting other people spread the, like we're in the middle of another COVID spike, like that means those people are not going to get vaccinated before they have COVID. And I had COVID, like it sucked. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was the worst fatigue I've ever had in my life. I didn't lose taste or smell or anything. So it's pretty minor for me. I just slept a ton, but um, I had it at the same time as I had a science infection. So that was not awesome. But it's like, there are a lot of people who should get vaccinated before they get COVID and you're making it harder for that to happen. And that's very frustrating. Um, do I think most people, especially on the right, feel that way? Absolutely not. Do I think most Dems are probably just kind of like largely happy with how he's handled this? Yes. But I am of the mind that's like, I, I, you know, obviously I'll, I'm a true blue Democrat and I support Dems, but like, I get to critique you if I critique you, especially if I fucking put you there. And um, a lot of my friends put you there and I want you to be better than this. So, you know, I'll say hi to him and like see him at events when things are going live and I'll vote for him again when he's up, but he has left something to be desired in this area. And so that was a very long tangent. I do think it will have some impact on 2022 in that because he's been being perceived as like semi-reasonable, I think that probably helps him a little bit electorally, but there are parts of the base that probably were not wild about him in the first place that are like kind of annoyed with him about this. Mm -hmm. But the teachers union loves him, like all those folks still are very happy with how he's handled this. So yeah. I'm probably in a vocal minority, but I'm also right, so. <laughs> Your health director isn't an insurance agent. That does help sometimes, I've heard. Well, if we could have a doctor in charge of the health department here, but what do I know? Didn't you guys used to have a really good health department person and then she was chased out? Yeah, yeah and then they chased her out with guns and anti-Semitic stuff, it was pretty cool. Yeah, well, I mean, she shouldn't have been trying to tell people what to do to keep them from dying, Max, so. I mean, I listen to Dr. Scott Atlas all the time, so I don't really, don't really prescribe to that liberal belief, but. My, my favorite of the rights in the First Amendment is the guaranteed right to just die if I don't want to listen to a doctor. So I'll fight to defend that. I also really like that I can choose to get other people killed because I want to go outside and have a beer. Like, that's my number one favorite right. It goes life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, happily killing myself and others in the sake of <laughs> such liberty. Uh, don't forget the right to claim HIPAA with whatever I want. Can't tell me my mask, HIPAA. <laughs> hey, they got us there. They got us there. You know? <laughs> Fucking A. You know, Rota, Donna Shalala, so don't come at her. That's true. That's true. He's coming back, I heard. She's going to take another stab at it, it sounds like. She might win. She could. Run it back, baby. Run it back. She's She was born in Cleveland. I think she should run for OH11. <laughs> hey, she could win. That. She could win that. Oh, absolutely, she could. Uh, a Shalala Nita Turner showdown would be insane. <laughs> Twitter would tear itself apart. I'm a pragmatic socialist. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. I think that 
unless anybody has any other questions, I think that we can conclude the, uh, the, the, the Minnesota episode. Uh, so I will. Thank you for listening to this episode of Elections on Tap. If you like us, please subscribe to, to us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you again. Bye.